right, what's up, everybody? It's your favorite dynamic duo here. My name is Leroy Horton, and this is Dr. Walter Aka. Yes, sir. And let me tell you, okay, so on the evolution diagram of like surgeons of the mouth, right? As periodontists, eh, we're somewhere in the middle, okay? There's, there, there's the neophytes, the dental students, probably at the beginning. And then at the very end, the most evolved, the most surgically skilled, the most surgically tremendous and stupendous. Who do we have, Walt? We got the, we got the, we got the oral. And listen, I, know, I know you got your ego wanting to say you up there, but you not, bro. I, I see listen, what they do. Listen, I'm not gonna lie. This is the first time I've seen Leroy do anything like this. So I'm 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 with you guys right now. I'm really shocked, but he he's telling the truth. He's telling the truth. We got two I, superstars here right now, man. And 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 of that cohort, that most evolved of surgeons in the mouth, we have two of the best and brightest. We have Dr. Jason Arbaugh and Dr. Akila Brown. Uh, welcome to these two amazing doctors that have uh, donated their time to us today. So I feel privileged. I know Walt's privileged here. Um, let's have both of you just kind of give a brief 30 second intro of who you are, where you at, all the good stuff. And then we'll just, we'll dive into some of the, uh, the uh, dialogue here. Doc, can you go first? Sure. Uh, so my name is Jason Auerbach. Uh, some of you guys know me as Bloody Tooth Guy. That's probably how I'm uh, most known to the dental community at large. <laughs> I'm originally from New York, uh, NYU Dental School, trained at Kings County Hospital in Brooklyn, and uh, started a practice called Riverside Oral Surgery in 2007 which has grown, uh, thankfully, based on the people that we've brought into the organization over the course of the last 15, 16, 17 years, whatever it is now, uh, to to basically a lar larger platform called Max Surgical Specialty Management, which, which now has about five or six brands and close to 30 surgeons, Akila Brown being... Uh, one of the superstars as i talk about she's she's exceptional in every way and i'm going to yield to her at this moment so dr akila brown please go hi everyone um i'm dr akila brown i'm also originally from new york as well but i did all of my training in dc at howard so i've been there since undergrad until residency um i joined the practice i think in 2020 and um yeah, I've been there ever since. So in August, I think it'll be year four for me, I want to say. I think so. Um, so it's been a really awesome experience. Um, it's growing. I think when I joined, I mean, it wasn't at the beginning of the practice, but I think there were only three locations when I got there and then like just like exploded. So it's such a beautiful thing to watch and the team keeps growing and the practitioners keep getting more and more amazing. And it's such a wonderful group to be a part of where I get to learn so much. And um, as the practice has grown, it's also incorporated some different wonderful things at the executive level. And um, I was recently given the position in um, diversity, equity, inclusion, and community engagement. So it's just a beautiful thing that's happening. I think it's just a beautiful thing that's happening in all of oral surgery. And um, that's who I am and that's where I am. All right. Now, now, Walt, uh, we got two true New Yorkers here, right? And in true New York fashion, we were talking before we started recording. And uh, and Jason mentioned that being from New York, he believes they got the best restaurants. Now, I don't know what it is about New Yorkers. 
every New Yorker, oh, the pizza in New York's the real pizza, the best pizza, the steak in New York. Right. Is are the restaurants in New York the best in the world, or is that just your New York pride showing through and through? I mean, <clears throat> I think they are. I, I really do. I mean, I, I think that whatever is done elsewhere, for the most part, is done better in New York. It's just my, it's just my feeling. Okay. Um, I will say I yield to certain things. And as I was telling uh, you guys earlier, the steak that I had in Houston killed it. And frankly, the sushi in Washington is off the charts. So I'm assuming there are great things all over the world. Uh, but maybe, I am a, I am New York focused and, 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 and despite living in New Jersey, proud to say I'm a New Yorker through and through. You know, yes. I, I will say that there is something in the waters when it comes to New York, because my wife hasn't lived in New York for like 20 some years, but still claims New York is the weirdest thing. Like she spent more time in Houston, but somehow still claims New York. It's a weird. I'm, I'm like, you don't, you, you grew, you like, you were like eight when you came to Houston. You know, what I mean? <laughs> it's been thirty years, and you're still saying, oh, well, you know, I, I'm still from New York. And then she swears that, oh, well, you know, Brooklyn, and I'm, da, da, da. I'm just like, stop. After a while, just stop. You know, so there is something about that New York uh, loyalty. I don't know what it is, man. All right, but let, let's let's talk a little bit of Dennis Shane. We we've. We've prepared some hard-hitting questions uh, that will speckle in, but um, we really want to hear, you know, we talked about the difference between, or I joked about the difference between, you know, general dentist, periodontist, oral surgeon. What makes an oral surgeon so unique? Is it the temperament? Is it the, the, the drive? Because the amount of schooling that it takes the amount of authority that you have to have in the surgical field, whether it's private practice or, or hospital setting, and the sheer amount of responsibility with the procedures that you're doing. Um, what makes an oral surgeon so special that they can handle that? I, so, I mean, I can answer that. I mean, I, I'm sure we, we both have similar and if maybe different perspectives on it. But so... My feeling is, I think what separates oral max. First of all, let me just say this, I, and and I don't want to um, kind of uh, challenge anything that you're saying, but I do think I don't think that oral maxillofacial surgeons are more special than anything than any other specialty. I think that our skill set is is different and expanded relative to most other dental professionals. I do think oral maxillofacial surgery is the best healthcare specialty. Period. That's mm -hmm. how I really feel. Um, but I think you know it's it's all about the the actual practitioner. This is not BS. This is what I really think. I think there are that skills that periodontists have. Um, or that certain surgically minded general dentists have um, that are unique and special and great in their own right. So I don't think that oral surgery is better. I do think that it, our training is significantly, um, I don't want to say more intense, but it, it, it exposes us to things that other dental professionals are not exposed to. And I think that's really where the difference is that part of our training is not so much that we're doing the things that we were trained to do every day. Most of us, most of us are doing, you know, exodontia, dental alveolar surgery, implants, bone grafting, minor pathology, things like that. Um, but the scope of our training prepares us to uh, see things and handle things and teaches us to make decisions uh, that allow us to realize that maybe some of the things that we're seeing in private practice are not uh, so challenging or not such a, 
big deal to us emotionally or mentally. And so because of that, we're able to handle things. And I don't want to say a different way, but I think that's really what separates us is that our training is so broad and so intense that that our day-to-day becomes more easily handled. I, I, I don't know if, if you hear what I'm saying. I mean, Akilah, what do you think about that? I totally agree. Um, I also agree that like, uh, I think we're all really special. Um, I think that I love to be guided by a prosthodontist. I love to share moments with a periodontist and see how they would handle a case differently than I would. Um, I think we're all really, really dynamic. And I don't think that any of us are, I don't think there's really a hierarchy at all. I think it's a really good team, especially like if we work together well. Um, but I do think that there's a great commitment that we make during that time. And there is a lot of sacrifice. And I do think that there's a lot of pressure um, that uh, forces us to, I guess, be uh, more relaxed during certain situations that may seem unique to others, but like Dr. Arbeck said, are more day-to-day and, and, and banal. Um, but I think we all have our moments where we're challenged, um, as well well, and humbled, even with our great training. Well, you guys, you guys knocked that one out the park. I was trying to set you up for exactly that, to have a moment of humility, right? I was trying to build you up and self-deprecate and both of you masterly handled that question. Well, Well, Leroy, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's, (laughs) let's, let's put it all in perspective, right? What they're talking about is they have to some some programs, most programs, you have to go through med school. Right. And so when they're talking about being able to handle certain things that, you know, maybe like a, a general dentist or a periodontist would uh, could not or isn't trained to handle. That's what they really mean. They have that extra training of going through med school. So not only are they doing and please, uh, Jason, if you don't mind, you, you want to talk about something like that just for the normal person that's listening to kind of be able to differentiate how you guys stand out a little more. And I mean, again, you're humble, but you know, we got to talk about that. I I appreciate that. I mean, so, so about 50% of the programs are what what are considered dual degree, you know, six year programs where you do do med school as well as residency. But I think really the bigger differentiator, um, is the residency-based training more than the actual med school. Cause when the med school, like a lot of that, a lot of that, and, and so just to understand, I, so I finished training in 2003. I did not go to med school. I'm a four-year, I'm a four-year trained oral maxillofacial surgeon, full scope. That again, I trained at Kings County Hospital. We were dealing with some pretty intense stuff day to day, as part of it was a SUNY Downstate in in, in Brooklyn, um, and so I think I think really where we get uh, where we make our bones, if you will, is in the hospital training program where we are alongside medical residents in many cases where we train fully in anesthesia, general mm-hmm. surgery. I mean, I covered plastic surgery and ENT mm-hmm. uh, and and Trauma. and yeah, try all, all that stuff that we see gunshot wounds, uh, you know, interpersonal violence, motor vehicle accidents, things like that. Um are things that I think kind of change the way you see things and, and, and enable you to treat things uh, looking at them from a different perspective more than the med school. And that's, and I guess if you had someone here who went to med school and they would tell you maybe the same, maybe different, but I think for me, what really separated me, I mean, when I went to oral surgery residency training program, I thought oral surgery was exodontia. I mean, a really, Mm -hmm. 
before I went into oral surgery, I had no clue how broad our scope of practice was. In our practice that we currently, both Dr. Brown and I are in, we have uh, four fellowship trained surgeons, one one who's trained in cleft and craniofacial, one who's trained in head and neck cancer, microvascular surgery, one who's trained in cosmetics, like full facial cosmetics, and one who's trained in uh, temporomandibular joint surgery. So we have these these surgeons who are who are trained above and beyond OMFS residency. Um, and it's just I think that is really what, you know, to get at what really differentiates us is really that hardcore hospital training. So (laughs) with that being said, why do you think everybody knows you guys as the, you know, the the people to go to when it comes to third molar with all that training, right? We've almost eliminated you guys or just kind of narrowed you guys down to, Oh, that's where you go get your wisdom teeth taken out. What, what happened? What, what, (laughs) you know, how do we, how do we, what, what do we do wrong in dentistry where we basically, you know, narrowed it down to that, that, that aspect with well, all the training. That, that's not really wrong, is it? I mean, that is something that oh, we no, do. And I'm which, not saying that. Which I'm really proud that right. I do do. And I would love for someone to come to my office and get their third molars taken out. I think that's right. a beautiful thing. And I love doing it every day. Um, but then, you know, some days we have to do a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's zebras and, and horses, right? There's more wisdom teeth than there are car accidents, thank God. And there's more wisdom teeth than there is cancer, thank God. So it's not like every day you're going to see amelioblastoma, but every day you are going to see wisdom teeth. That's just kind of how the cookie crumbles. So I don't think it's a lost art. Um, I still go to the OR and I still see some trauma cases and I still do some pathology cases. But then on my day to day, thankfully, my patients are coming in to see me. And most of the time, they don't have to deal with those issues. And most of the time, it is just simple extractions of wisdom teeth. Um, I think that's kind of primarily why. What do you think? I mean, are you asking me? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, so I, I think it's a it's a combination of things. I think generationally, if you look at what's gone on in, in oral surgery um, and, and perio and with the implant world and pros doing surgery and all of this and more surgically minded younger dentists coming out now, there's been kind of an, evo- an evolution. There was a time where uh, like old school oral maxillofacial surgeons um they kind of felt that they wanted to do more trauma and more orthognathics or TMJ surgery. And if you look at the history of our profession, there were periods of time that certain things were more in vogue than, than other things. And then I think what ended up happening, um, and this is going to come out maybe a slightly negative slant, but I, I hope it doesn't because it's not intended to be. Over time, I think the periodontists were smarter as far as marketing themselves, <laughs> um, saying the concept of like, you know, we pay attention to soft tissue, whereas oral surgeons just jam the implant in or whatever it is. And <laughs> given given the fact that periodontists were in the dental schools and periodontists were um, – uh, more closely working, let's say, with with the patient population that that required dental implants at the time, they were smart and they they got the reputation to understand dentistry and understand soft tissue and and speak the same language and therefore they were doing more implants. I think when I came out, that shifted to some degree, though I think it's still tried and true that periodontists have the reputation of understanding the aesthetic zone better and blah 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 and all this stuff. And again. 
I'm not disagreeing. I think everything is an individual practitioner. I think I pay very, very close attention to soft tissue. And I think that there are periodontists who probably don't and many who do and many oral surgeons who don't. And, you know, I know I'm kind of tangential here in my, in my answer, but the point of the matter is, is oral surgeons do a lot of wisdom teeth to a, to a great degree because of what Dr. Brown is saying, also because of the anesthesia piece, right? So that's a major separator for oral maxillofacial surgeons that we do our own anesthesia at a very high level. We're very trained to do anesthesia. Um, and because we do those, those, um, adolescent kids who are coming in with trepidation and fear and anxiety are are easily handled in our, or not always easily but are 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 handled by us in a fairly consistent predictable way um plus we take out wisdom teeth pretty quickly and and we're pretty adept at at that you know tooth extraction for us is just a very it's it's just a very natural thing so i think that all of that plays into it Right. Well, let, let me ask you a philosophical question. I'm, I'm going to build this question. So bear with me for about 30 seconds here. So there's there's a lot of studies that have shown that level of training can kind of predict uh, postoperative complications. Right. There's an old uh, Handelman study looking at uh, OS residents versus GP residents. And then another study that looked at OS residents versus out practicing uh, oral surgeons. Right. And so we see that the more trained you are, the less complications you have, the you know, less blood that's that's spilled during surgery, the less time and so forth. Given that, I was at the uh, the ICOI recently and talked to a number of people, and I see this trend of a lot of general dentists, a lot of them new grads coming out being recruited by these DSOs, both large ones and small ones, for these all-on-four clinics. All they do is exodontia implants. And at first they started talking about how many cases they have under their, you know, they've been doing, how long they've been doing it and so forth. But then, you know, when you have a conversation and you start noticing from what they're saying or what they're asking, you're kind of figuring out how much they don't know. And you're like, wow, I, you're doing all on four cases and you ask that question. What are you seeing in the world now, as you said, surgically minded young dentists, because it's the cool, it's the sexy stuff, right? It's the surgery. Do you see it going in a positive way or are you worried at all by the trends of, you know, the labs dictating surgery um, and getting these young docs with minimal experience and throwing them into all on X cases? So uh, I mean, my response to that is basically twofold. I, I think that I think it's a good thing that 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 people are exposed to surgery and and do surgery. But I will tell you, if you've ever heard anything I've always said, I think you cannot do anything unless you can handle, or you should not be doing anything unless you can handle any potential complication that comes your way. And so, so as an example, again, I'm fully trained, full oral maxillofacial surgery trained. I did a ton of orthognathics back in my day. I am not the right person to do your orthognathic surgery because mm -hmm. of the fact that not that I can't handle the complication if God forbid there's a complication, but there are people out there who are doing it on a regular basis who do a ton of cases and they can handle it's a quicker case and the fewer complications and and much more predictable results. And so I do think that that there is there is a little bit of an issue that's going to come down the pipe. I mean, I've been in the game for a long time. I see things that happen many years down the road. I am concerned about um, forget general dentists. Anyone who's not well trained doing full arch 
doing zygomas, doing pterygoids, doing these things that, again, seem sexy and seem great, as to, to use your words, and I totally support them. Like, you know, you got a guy who doesn't really even understand the blood supply to the bone that they're drilling in, talking about and doing a ton of implants that way. Uh, you know, I, I don't think that that's necessarily what's best for the patient, nor do I think it's good for the profession long term. I get I'm concerned about what's going to happen with all the, and again, I, I'm I I believe in the technology, but I think as part of your armamentarium, and I, I know Doc, I believe Dr. Brown feels the same way, that you know zygomas and teres are things that should be in your like toolkit, but they shouldn't be the only way you treat patients. Just like full arch shouldn't be the only way you treat an edentulous or partially yes. edentulous arch. Um, you know, I, I went and I learned from uh, Paolo Malo in Lisbon. I don't know, 15 years ago, whatever it was. And I understand the evolution of the all on four to the all on X and all of that. Um, and I, I think that there is, I know that there is a very good place for full arch cases and many people to do them, but I don't think necessarily it's always the answer. And then I'll, I'll, I'll end with this. And then and I, I'd love to hear Dr. Brown's perspective on it. I mean, realistically speaking, I think a good deal of the art of surgery has been, um, has been uh, removed from the need for the practitioner, right? So the guided surgery and, and all of that has really removed the need to really use your judgment in many cases when the guide is working properly. I think what ends up happening though, and we've all seen it, anyone who's been doing it long enough, guides break or they don't fit properly or they're not exactly right on. You got to be able to to think on your feet and to be able to switch. And I think part of, again, I'm not talking about me. I happen to use me as an example. I'm not talking about me. When I started placing implants, I was placing tissue level Strauman implants. Those tissue level Strauman implants had a table on them and you had to use a solid abutment, which means if I didn't put the implant the way it needed to be placed so that a solid abutment could hold a crown or two crowns and therefore have a line of a draw, like that was a failed case. So now you have an angled screw channel and these multi-unit abutments and all of these kinds of things that can correct for less than optimal surgery. Um, so I think we're seeing it's better, I guess, in that way, but it's also worse because I just wonder what's going to happen to the quality of surgery when all things don't go as planned. So that's that's kind of how I see. Okay. All right, Kayla, what do you think? Yeah, I totally agree. Um it can be dangerous, right? If things are in the wrong hands, like great materials and great instruments are in the wrong hands and, and, and these new advances are in the wrong hands. But there's also something to be said about getting out there and practicing, right? Like if you do however many all on X cases after a while, you do kind of know what you're talking about. You do know what you're doing. It's really exciting to see um, people entering into the surgical field from different avenues. But yes, I mean, you should, for the patient's safety, you should be well-versed in this in, in the information. And it is kind of scary to hear someone not like that experience that you've had where you know that these people are placing case, placing these implants or doing these large cases and they have these strange questions or, or, or lack of knowledge. Um, so that is concerning. Um, but I don't know what you do about that. How do you circumvent that how do you fix that so here's a question for you guys is it the amount of procedures that you do because you mentioned if you do more then you, you know you you'll feel more comfortable 
But to me, I feel like the way you differentiate is also kind of the knowledge that comes with it. Like, you know, uh, Doc was saying, you have to understand the blood supply, low uh, anesthesia. So you have to understand anatomy. You have to understand so many different things. It's not just let me just do a lot. Right. Because if you do a lot and then like something happens where you have a complication and you're like, uh, well, where is this blood supply going or why? Where is it bleeding? Where's the bleeding coming from? Right. Mm -hmm. To me, that's kind of like where we have to differentiate because you'll have, you know, some you'll go online, for example, and Leroy and I, we talked about this a lot where you'll see um, a general dentist who teaches other general dentists how to do thirds. And how to do implants. And they're like, well, you can be as good as an oral surgeon, as a periodontist. And I always sit there and go, yes, if you do enough, I guess you can become very good. But without the knowledge to get yourself out of trouble, I feel like that doesn't make any sense. So I want you guys to kind of speak to all these courses that people are are, are selling online, where you know you got a general dentist basically saying, "I can teach you how to do as good of a surgery as an oral surgeon or as a periodontist or somebody who does, or even a a general dentist who has taken all those courses in those time." If no, 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 please. If they're, if they're taking the courses and also reading the text then they're doing the right thing, right? If they really are taking the time to do that because the information is there. If they're not doing it, of course it's wrong and it's dangerous, but it is a com I do think there is a combination between doing a lot of surgery and, and learning how to do it quickly because that also determines how successful your case is. Surgical time can lead to many complications the longer the cases are, mm -hmm. right? So practice and efficiency is extremely important. Um, I don't want to poo poo anyone learning how to do something and being good at it. And it doesn't, I don't think take away from the patient pool for us and our ability to still provide a, a wonderful service. Um, because sometimes I'll take a course and listen to a general dentist perspective on how they want to implant placed. You know, if I'm doing a case, sometimes I need a prosthodontist there to tell me, where exactly they want the implant and how they want it done. I think we can all learn something from one another. And I think the more of us that are doing these cases and the more of us that are becoming well-versed, the more people and, and the greater resources we have and the ability to learn from one another. Um, but there is that concern that there are people out there who are just like you said, doing something because it's sexy and it's cool and they're not taking the time to really uh, learn the information. But we all went to residency and we all practice with some people that do have a degree, have passports. And you're like, wow, <laughs> like, like <laughs> you know, so they read the book. They're tech strong. They That's could it. probably during rounds run circles around you. But I would be scared to see a blade in their hand. Right. So like you there's we, we could tell the story in so right. many different ways, you know. So let me do a quick follow up with that. Do you think that because more people are doing implants and, and a lot more implants are being done, we have an increase in implant failure? Or do you think it's just the lack of training? Like, what do you think is causing more? Because I'll speak for myself. I'm seeing a lot more implant failures. Is it right. because more people are doing it or is it because less skilled people are doing it? Yeah. I think people are taking liberties that they necessarily <clears throat> wouldn't have taken, you know, when, when implants were starting to be placed, you know, we, we waited longer. Um, we waited longer for the graft. Uh, we, we did fewer immediate implants. The, you know, we didn't, 
we, when I started placing implants, we were very conservative in, in our thinking. And again, we're talking 20 years ago and, and that was already 20 years after uh, the, the kind of the way it started. But the fact is, is that I think the more aggressive we become, the more failures you're going to see. Uh, and I, I don't think everyone takes everything into account. Like, for instance, if there is a small periapical pathology on an adjacent root canal tooth, that will affect small PAP can affect the success of the implant more than most people give that credit for. Uh, and, and, and just kind of like looking big picture and understanding the comprehensive treatment of a, of a case, the occlusion and adjacent teeth, angulation, just things that you need to think about that you, that when you do more, you think more about, um, I think a big, just to kind of like answer that first question or at least my perspective on it is so much of uh, success comes with understanding, you know, case selection, not just the patient selection, mm -hmm. like the actual case of what needs to be done, but the actual patient. And then also your skill set. you have to be totally at one with and aware of like what you can do and what you can do well. Um, and, and I, I will actually just kind of echo what Dr. Brown said. I, I, there's a guy here who does full arch cases, a general dentist, and he does a ton of them and he does them extremely well and he's brilliant. And, and again, he's a general dentist. Um, and I, I yield, I, I routinely will call him and ask him questions on cases. And despite the fact that I've done, you know, I mean, I, I don't even know how many implants my, over the course of my career, but I, I don't think that it's, it's ne necessarily a negative thing to be a general dentist, uh, imparting, uh, his or her knowledge to, to anyone else. I think it is, um, I think let's be real an oral maxillofacial surgeon who is good um who is a good instructor teacher understands can is probably better uh, more appropriate to teach that and I do think w what we forget is we talk about like do a lot of cases the beauty of residency not only is just being exposed to things as I said earlier is you do a lot of cases you know you you get to you you learn um you know it, you learn in in the in that setting where things are challenging. You're you're working with, let's say, lesser instruments, uh, and 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 you're working with maybe not an assistant or so you you're you're working and you're doing a lot of cases in in compromised situations so that when you get to a world where maybe you have access to better instrumentation and better help and and all of that, you actually things are much easier for you. So there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of that too. You know, we talk about like, you know, however many 10,000 hours and you become an expert at something or whatever. So if you get mm -hmm. like eight of 8,000 of those hours before you finish residency, you got a little bit of a head start. Uh, absolutely. You know, and to add to that, I think residency also adds the accountability and I don't know how OS was, but in Perio, you're always having to present your cases. You're doing a ton of photography, intraoperative, uh, you get grilled, Right. Yeah. And so it puts a spotlight on you. So knowing that someone's going to be looking at this, you end up always doing a better job. Right. And that's what I tell a lot of general dentists. Hey, take a good photography course, because if you take a, you know, one week course or weekend course, then you go back, you're doing your own thing. No one's watching you. No one's critiquing you necessarily. But if you get a good mentor, you know, and like I said, I shadowed, uh, you know, and sorry for my formality, calling everybody by their first names. Uh, but we we're all talking before. And I, I told Jason that, uh, a mutual acquaintance of ours, I used to shadow his dad all the time. 
Um, uh, periodontist Tom Sweeney out here in Seattle shadowed him all the time. My buddy uh, Richard Ansong, a high-profile prosthodontist. And so I would always show them, you know, my cases and held myself accountable as a GP. And then I saw that same exact thing in, in residency. And so, I mean, I think that is, you know, obviously the reps, the hours, but also that accountability is, is it's important. But I do want to segue because we've talked about clinicals um, and some of the greater, you know, industry philosophies. Um, but I know Akila here has a very special position within the network um that when i watched your video i jotted down some questions uh because i think it's great to see this particular position in a non-institution setting you see these in big corporate organizations or dental schools but having someone being in charge and being accountable for diversity and inclusion um in a private setting you know i'll, I'll bet you get your network is quite large what does it look like uh, to be in that position and what needs are you, were you specifically uh, brought in for to address uh, in a private sector world? Um, I like, it's not like we have a lot of chasms in our office or in, in our network that needed to be addressed. It's a group of really great people. And that's probably why it was so easy to create such a position. Um, however, I think it was like, you know, avenue to present a different perspective and make sure that we were meeting all the diverse needs of our staff and of uh, our growing practitioners and hopefully that 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 group of practitioners would become more diverse um, and that all of those voices would be included um, I think that was primarily the idea and then also as our patients change at the more offices we acquire, the larger we grow, the more diverse our patient population is going to become. And I think, you know, considering those kinds of things and being cognizant of those changes, I think that was um, why the position was created. Okay. So, so what are some uh, projects that you're working on or some initiatives that you've thought of and are starting to put to action? Uh, so some initiatives that we're actually working on are translation services or something that we're trying to incorporate. Um, and I think by doing something like that, more private institutions will incorporate translation services to be more inclusive to different patient populations. Um, so the five-year-old daughter isn't that speaks English isn't good enough? <laughs> no, that's not. No, that's not okay. <laughs> that's not okay. Um, granted, it's good practice for this five-year-old daughter, but no, we should definitely be providing something more, um, you know, our ASL patient population. So things like that. Um, those are some initiatives. Also more community service-based um, initiatives. Uh, Dr. Arbach's really good about reaching out to different populations, um, different communities, uh, veterans, um, doing mission trips, things of that nature. Uh, so those are things that we're working on. Okay. Dr. Arbach, let me okay. ask you a question real quick. Um, and, and this is actually just led me into this. I saw that you had done a mission trip to the Bahamas, I want to say, right? Yes. You know, with somebody who is as busy as you are, somebody who has multiple offices, kind of running a management uh, company, uh, multiple offices, multiple doctors. Why do you have and how do you have time <laughs> to take <laughs> to go to a mission trip? Because, because I'm very big on people needing to do mission trip, giving back. 
right? We yeah. take a lot as dentists. We need to give back, right? Yeah. So, so what made you want to do that? Why did you do that? Why do you think it's important to do that? The mission trip. Well, I mean, it's as simple as I'm. I'm a very fortunate human being, and uh, I'm fortunate in you know a myriad ways. But I, I think the fact that I have. I don't want to say a gift, but I, I, I've been given, I've been blessed with the ability to help people. Um, and I've earned a, uh, a very good life by doing that, uh, to be able to give back to people who are, who have need. Like I, I just, to me, it's really what, what we all should do. Fortunately, I've entered a period of my life where, so I practice, I just, I mean, for a little background, I, I practice, um, about three and a half days a week, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, half day, Fridays. I, I do business every single night. Um, people talk about work-life balance. I don't really have one to the detriment, unfortunately, of my, of my children, my two daughters who are everything to me and my wife. Um, but the, the fact of the matter is, is that I am in love with what I do. I am passionate about what I do. As I've said, I believe what I do is the best thing that one can do in healthcare. Um, and so I, I was offered this opportunity to go on this trip to Eleuthera for perspective. It was started by a guy named Jonathan Levine. He is a, is a dentist in Manhattan. Uh, his patient is Lenny Kravitz. Lenny Kravitz's mother, Roxy Roker, um, was, um, from this island originally and that is kind of how we ended up on the island and so they've been doing it for a number of years i think they took one or two years off in the middle of the pandemic but uh, it it really changed the way i see things i mean i i was always already inclined to give and to help but just nowadays and uh, to see that how much these people appreciate it and frankly needed the care so it's not as simple as go and take out teeth right i mean that's it, it's good that we can do that and we can help people get out of pain and stuff like that but this this specific mission trip incorporates digital dentistry there were three d three 3D printers there, um, Sprint Ray de donated. There were prostodontists, endodontists, dental hygienists, general dentists, tons of students from all different dental schools. And so if I were, if I was eventually a maxilla, they'd come and do a 3D, uh, an intraoral scan and 3D printed denture so that the next day patients had dentures. Whereas, you know, a lot of times you just go, you, you, you take out the bad stuff and you leave these patients like, you know, dentally disadvantaged significantly, but there's also an educational component. They're going to the schools on the Island and in the surrounding islands. And, and this specific, it's called glow good foundation. This specific foundation is really aiming at hopefully big picture changing the way that, that. So right now we go, we do a lot of exodontia, as I said, 20 years from now, when these five-year-olds who have been educated about dental health are now the adult population, hopefully we don't need to do all that exodontia. Hopefully it's more, you know, maintenance and, and other types of restorative dentistry. So that's what drew me to this specific organization. But I've always been about, all about kind of doing as much as I can for other people. Uh, so I'll switch back to the formal now because I, I think this question uh, deserves this more than any question here. So Dr. Brown, mm -hmm. uh, you teach part-time, the mm -hmm. GTR, AGD residents, correct? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
So I, um, I was in a course once and I saw, noticed that when Dr. Ken Reed and Stanley Malamud, when they were talking, no one questioned anything, right? Mm -hmm. We had this extremely bright, extremely talented Dr. Amanda Okunde, who's a, a, a black female dental anesthesiologist. She's talking. And one of the audience members, I guess, disagreed or thought he disagreed with something. So he asked the question of, you know, I think it was, quote, would anybody with authority say something different? And the whole room kind of got quiet. And she looked at him. <laughs> look at that look. Like, look at that look. <laughs> yeah. She was like, well, I'm an authority. Right. She was like, in fact, I'm the authority. Right. And I'm telling you it's this. And I've seen many instances of that, right? So my question to you is, as a uh, uh, a, a female uh, of color that happens to be, a, you know, obviously a tremendously uh, educated and skilled provider and instructor, do you face any challenges, whether it's just <laughs> on, by men or by, you know, by virtue of being, uh, you know, someone of, that's melanated? What's your experience has been like in that in that arena for you? It sounds like you got to get I some mean, popcorn. <laughs> I I'm gonna I'm gonna keep it real. I might keep it like way too real. So no, like, please no do. One this will is, ever want to hear me talk again. But like I know we'll bring I you back am, if you do. <laughs> I am very. I'm a black woman. I'm not. I mean, my some my parents. My mother's like part Kattishan and my father's Jamaican. But I'm born and raised black woman. My grandmother was from Kansas. Like, you know, I, I have that in me. Um, I'm an African-American woman and there's nothing lower on the totem pole when it comes to respect than a mm. black woman. Okay. So, and every day from birth until now, I've had to face challenges, you know, and I've had to see my mother face challenges. And yes, it is jarring sometimes when you work so hard. That's really the hard part is like you work so hard and you finally come up and you get the same credentials as your colleagues. And it's not, it's your question by everyone. You're questioned by your patients. You know, they, they use this euphemism, like you're, you look so young, but that's not really what you mean. Mm. Mm. <laughs> you don't mean that. <laughs> and, um, and how do you address that? How do you say, it's not that I look young, it's that I look black and I look like a female and you don't know if I'm prepared to do this because I'm, I'm black and a female. Um, so, and, and it does become, how do I address that? And, um, you know, now I've come to terms with it and I'm comfortable with it. I, I'm more so I'm comfortable with myself and I believe in myself. I think that's another big hurdle is like, do you listen to this? Do you take that on? Do you question your authority to have that doctor say that? Like, you know, that's a beautiful thing to hear, to trust in yourself, to believe in yourself and say, I am the authority. I know what I'm talking about. Uh, no, you're mistaken. And this and the buck stops here. Um, I haven't had my residents question me um, or not trust me. Um, I don't know if they go behind my back and then read and see if i was right but they have in, in my face like disrespected me in that kind of way but yeah i've gotten it from my colleagues i've gotten it from my patients um even in very subtle ways um so to answer your question yes i do have to struggle with that um but the more experience i have 
the more I trust myself, the more cases I do, the more complications I face and I fix, um, you know, it, it helps with that. And I think a big thing I'm sure you guys all agree is once you pass your boards, a lot of that goes away as well. You know, you really feel like you belong. Um, you, what's the parameter now? If I pass my boards, I'm board certified. No one can say that there's something, my skin color and my sex are, are not a limitation and they're not a factor here. You know, I know what I'm doing. Um, and I can, I can manage my cases and take care of my patients. Um, so, but yes, to answer your question, I've definitely faced obstacles. I've definitely been disrespected. Um, but I do have an internal fortitude that pushes beyond that and, and silences that noise and allows me to continue to deliver an excellent product to my patients every day. So let me ask you this, um, I feel like being able to see somebody do something allows young kids to be able to say, I can do the same. Right. Mm -hmm. You see, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to get, you know, political, but if you see Obama as president, now a bunch of, you know, black kids can say, Oh, I can be president too. And they see you as an oral surgeon where in the past, and I hope you guys would agree has been a, has been very dominated by, white males right pretty much males. and still is and yeah. still is right exactly mm -hmm. so you are somebody that they can look at and say okay i can do that too so what are you doing with your position to expand on that and have the community see you and say yes this is exactly why you're here and this is what i'm going to do as a child right like my daughters i have two i have two little girls mm -hmm. and they can look at you and say oh if she can do it i can do it too so what have you uh, been doing to basically push that narrative? Well, this platform, these kinds of platforms have been really excellent. Um, like having Max promote me and show who I am and advertise me has really, really helped more young people reach out to me on a daily basis. I'm getting DMs. Can I call you? Can I have your cell phone number so that you can walk me through how I do this? And every time the answer is, yeah, sure. Here's my cell phone number, whatever you need, whatever advice you need, take it. We can sit down, we can chat, we can talk about um, the uh, uh, application process. We can talk about, you know, residency match. We can go through your list of schools and we can discuss how you want to match these programs to make it easier for you to get into programs. We could talk about your experience graduating from residency and how you're going to pick a position so that you don't have to go through the things that I went through um, that were more made it more challenging because of my sex and my race. So I'm constantly making myself accessible. I think being a, an attending at a residency in New Jersey is definitely a way to, you know, um, reach out. Also, you know, when we're selecting residents, when we're looking at things to have a different perspective, to have a woman of color looking at residents, accepting residents, I think that's definitely crucial. Um, so those are ways in which I try and give back um, and reach out and make sure that there are more people like me um, entering uh the field wow. all the while being talented and being in a team of talented people right because i think i've yeah. seen obviously dr abash you know demonstrating his cases and i i was actually going to ask you later on if we can get you on in the future to do like a short 10 minute case presentation so we can 
kind of highlight some of your skill sets, but we can talk about that off the air. Um, but I, I appreciate you even addressing the issue. You know, sometimes some of these topics, we try to ride the fine line, especially when we're in business of not of kind of being apolitical. Um, but it's nice to, you know, have some honesty um, when it comes to some of these issues that are real issues. And and obviously your team trusted you and valued, oh, yeah. as you said in your video, valued this work and created, you know, help create that position. Um, you know, so I think that's a big kudos to the entire organization because I was so interested in it. Cause like I said, I've never seen a private uh, network even think about that, you know? So if I could ask you, Dr. Arbosh, you know, how, how did that conversation come up and, you know, what were your thoughts as you started tackling that, that concept? I mean, I, I guess it, it, it started when I first met Akila, you know, I mean, basically it, it was, you know, listen, I happen to be light. I'm a white guy. I'm a Jewish guy. Right. <laughs> I mean, right. Let's be, let's be real. I'm a 50 year old white Jewish guy in a world that's a little crazy. Right. And, and the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, I live again, I live in New York. Right. So in New York, not to say that there's not any, you know, concern about racism or, or whatever, but but by and large in New York, people are generally uh, they know everyone of they know people of different cultures and backgrounds and colors and religions and whatever. And there's everyone is a very I feel, at least in my experience growing up, has been everyone's tolerant, basically, of everyone. Everyone's is fine with everybody that no, no one. Uh, maybe tolerance or wrong word, but you know what I mean? Everyone is just, everyone's good with everybody. Right. And so, um, Akila and I met, I loved her immediately. And, and when she came in, she, you know, it was an interesting time because she did join us in 2020. The, it was, you know, the pandemic and we were dealing with really kind of like, uh, I thought she'd be perfect for a certain office. And then of course we had to shut down a couple of offices for a period of time. And then she was like unbelievably gracious and, and willing to kind of like just believe in the fact that like we were going to eventually get it right for her. And, and, and it, it really wasn't right for her at first because we, she, we did move her around and ultimately we found that I think where she is now is like the, essentially a perfect place for her. Um, it's her own office and she runs it and she's got a great team and all that. She, it wasn't that we appointed her this, it wasn't like we like granted her this opportunity. This was fully, uh, it, it was really of her own thinking. She presented this kind of, Forgive me if I'm remembering it wrong, Akila, but no, and, and correct me if I'm remember, remembering it wrong. But but she brought it to me. I didn't hesitate. It was like a totally appropriate thing, I thought. And I thought no one better, obviously, as as um, free thinking and open minded as I am. I don't have the perspective. And so because I don't have the perspective and she does have significant perspective, I thought that that would make complete sense. I brought it then to I don't know if I did, maybe you did, brought it to Susan. So we have a woman who is uh, her, our chief people officer named Susan Coe. She comes from uh, GW Health. She was their chief people officer. And so kind of, again, this is my memory. It could be wrong that we that we put Susan and Akila together and the two of them basically conceived of this dyad, as they call it, basically a clinical director and an administrative director um, of this DEI and community outreach. Uh, and and 
that was how it was born. We took it to the board. We all agreed that this was totally appropriate. And, um, and, and hence, Akilah Brown, the clinical director of DEI and community outreach for Max Surgical Specialty Management. And I, I, listen, I, I think it's very important to take everybody's perspective into things. And I mean, everybody's perspective. And I, I think, you know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, kind of, I'll be real. There's a lot of talk like, is DEI a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Is it like, and I mean, everybody has like opinions on it. I think in its purest form, DEI is is amazing and should be, and should is a big part of what's going to get us really to a good place societally and culturally. I think the only way to actually get to a better place is to have open and honest, free-flowing communication and sharing of ideas. And 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 again, that's that was why for me it made sense for our organization to have this as a as as a big part of it. And and frankly, I mean, we do, we, we, talk, we talk about it, we promote it. It's, it's part of what I think differentiates Max. I think it is a draw. I think in that way, maybe it's a little selfish. It's a, it's a good thing that we have something like this as a differentiator. It's only part of what differentiates us. Um, but I think Akila is the perfect person for it. She's passionate about it. She's got perspective. As I said, she's a superstar in every way. I hope she knows I really feel this way. This is not just words. Um, and so, I mean, I think Akila Brown is kind of like, you talk about me as maybe like starting this whole like in, Instagram dentistry thing. I think Akila Brown is going to be like next level, like crazy, crazy next level, if that's what she wants. <clears throat> We're looking forward to that. Right. Yeah. And and remember, remember, we, we, we had you on our first podcast. So remember us. Just <laughs> remember us when you blow up. Just remember us, all right? Just give we're, us. A we're few... blowing up together. We're going. Up, we're going to the top together. That's it. That's it. Um, we're gonna we're gonna wrap up here. And I, I mean, there's so much we could talk about. We could talk about the future of dentistry. We could talk about so many different factors. We'll stop here because I don't think people have enough attention span <laughs> for like two hours. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so hopefully, yeah. you guys will be able to come back when your schedule does, you know, permits uh, permits. But Dr. Horton always wants to yes. do this little rapid question stuff so i'm going to leave Listen, it to him we, to kind of end we, this. we all have our quirks walt likes to sit there with a pencil to act like he's studious yeah, taking oh, notes. i do this a lot nothing. i look i, I look good nothing. when i do this okay. i feel good when i do this <laughs> and i'm a i'm a big uh kind of a, a nerd when it comes to some things i used to love that show uh, inside actor studio and i don't know if you remember at the end he used to always ask like these kind of uh existential questions and so um, I want to do it. It's just five questions. Quick answer. doesn't have to be too in-depth. Um, I'm going to start with Dr. Arbosh because I want Dr. Brown to have the last word as we finish out. But I'll ask the question and each of you can, can take turns. Uh, so here we go. So are you extraordinary? I think I am. Yeah, I think I am. <laughs> Both of you. Right. What is your biggest fear as a surgeon? Go ahead. My biggest. <laughs> fear, uh, I'm sorry. My <laughs> biggest. I'm sorry. Uh, my biggest fear as a surgeon probably is some sort of physical ailment that would affect my ability to perform surgery. Mm. Dr. I never Dr. Even Brown? thought about 
that that's awful. I never even thought about that as a possibility. That's really, really scary. You just gave her nightmares. I'm sorry. Um, she's that young. I'll wait, stop. wait until <laughs> <Yeah>. you're 50. <laughs> right, that she's I'll young. Stop learning. That's my biggest fear, that I'll stop learning, that, I'll close, that I won't be open-minded to learn new techniques and be a better surgeon. I don't want right. to make that point. That's a good one. Dr. Arbosh, favorite implant system? Strauman. Mm. Dr. Brown? Yeah, I'll say the same thing. Strauman. Okay. Ex- expensive taste, I see. <laughs> Dr. Arbosh, uh, moments you live for? One-on-ones with my daughters, um, live music, and um, time with friends. Indeed. Dr. Brown? Uh, yeah, family time with my mom. Me and my mom are super, super close, so so that's a big deal for me. Um, in clinical space, when my patients are happy and like they give me a hug and they really appreciate what I've done, that that's magic for me. Um, and then new experiences, traveling, those are things that are great for me also. All right, and lastly, Dr. Arbosh, 40 years from now, uh, what do you hope to be remembered for? Uh, I hope to be remembered as, as an amazing father, a good friend, great husband. And from a professional standpoint, I really do hope that I can change the way that large scale healthcare platforms are seen. I think that there's a lot of kind of negativity around this quote unquote bad word of DSO or, you know, like quote unquote corporate dentistry, but I don't think providing exceptional care and doing it at scale are mutually exclusive concepts. And I, I really want to change the way that people think about large scale healthcare. Dr. Brown, last word. Uh, I want to be remembered for being a kind and good person. And I really, really hope that I am not unique anymore and that there are tons of people like me to the point where my role is just commonplace. Um, That's what I really hope. I hope there's tons more black girls just like me crushing it, being oral surgeons, being whatever they want to be, where it's it's a, a, a normal thing. That's what I hope. And I hope I'm a part of that. Amen to that. Well, Walt, listen, I'm gonna need like another five, six hours with this group. Well, you, you can't, you can't have. They're two amazing they people. They, they don't. They don't. We they can have, like talk outside of this. That, we have each other's contact information. It doesn't absolutely. have to. No, here. that's a given. That's absolutely. a given. But he, the, the problem is when you give him a lot of opportunity and time, he'll take that five, six hours, <laughs> and you need to, you need to go enjoy yourself outside of this. So. <laughs> But I want to thank you guys so much. I want to thank you, Dr. Arbag. I want to thank you too so much. So amazing. So incredible. You guys have said so many nice things and made me feel so at home. And I had such a good time. And I've learned so much here. So I just really want to thank you guys for having me so much. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm not going to say anything else. That was it. That was it. You just did it for us. Thank you. Thank you guys so much, man. I'll say thank you too, despite it not being the last word. I (laughs) I just want to thank you. This, I mean, really, this was, and I'm actually taking the last word, which is kind of bad taste, but I, I will, I will say, I will say thank you. I appreciate this opportunity. Akili, you know how I feel about you and you guys are great. And so I, 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 I hope that you guys continue the conversation. I'm happy to talk about anything at any time. I hope this was a positive experience for you because it was for me for sure.
Absolutely. And to all our listeners, uh, we'll put Dr. Arbach's and Dr. Brown's, um, you know, social media handles, ways to contact them in our show notes, because, you know, this is about you. So we want to celebrate you and promote you and the good works and changes that you're making. Um, and also, we want to tell everybody, definitely go back in time and listen to some of our other podcasts. We talk about some similar subjects. Uh, we might have some people in common. And then that way, as you might get some of the inside jokes that that we make, um, you know, or you get a good laugh of all the fun poking I get, I, I do at Walt. Um, but definitely check us out on all podcast platforms on YouTube. Uh, we have amazing guests uh, that make our job very easy and enjoyable. Um, so thank you to the two of you, flowers to both of you, um, and we'll say good night to everybody. Thank you. Thank you good so night. much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Truth Be Told. The opinions on this episode are just that, our opinions. Please consult your dental professional before taking any action with your dental health. If you have any questions about anything you heard on this episode, please contact us at Real Dentist with an S. That's R-E-A-L, dentist with an S, at gmail.com. We would be very happy to return any message that we receive because we love the communication that we have with our listeners.